Welcome, folks, to Grace Downtown Online. Um, We are so excited to be able to have this platform to be able to connect with you and with the body of Christ uh, during this time. Uh, It's so encouraging to know that even though we are in different homes, different neighborhoods, and in some cases even different states, though we're scattered in those places, we can still gather together as the body of Christ to be encouraged, to be strengthened, and to be equipped to go out and to, um, to spread the gospel because the fields are white for harvest, and now is the time to bring in the harvest. So we are so excited that you have decided um, to come, to join, to worship, and to learn with us today. A few announcements before we get started here. First, information right now is changing rapidly. So we want to make sure that you have a way to stay up to date with what's going on here at Grace. There are a couple ways that you can do that. Our communication team is updating information uh, regularly, all the time. So to stay up to date with those things, all you need to do is go to one of three platforms. Uh, First, you can go to the church website. That's graceb3.org. Org. Uh, second, you can get the app, which you can find also by searching in your app store for Grace B3. Or number three, you can check out Grace's online monthly magazine called the Grace Insider, and that will have all the information there that you could ever want, plus uh, some fun uh, articles from elders and uh, folks who are involved in the church here. You may be surprised in the midst of the chaos to know that Easter is next week. Um, I can't think of a better time to sit at the foot of the cross and dwell in the reality of the resurrection of Christ. It will be uh, an incredible time to dwell in what that means for you, to dwell in what that means for the world, for your today, and for your tomorrow as well. And so we pray that you would join us for that. We are going to have a special downtown sermon. Uh, It'll be right here, online, on your couch, wherever you happen to be, at 5 p.m. on Easter Sunday. So please make sure you join us for that. With that, we'd love to jump into the scripture for today. It'll be 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12, if you'd like to follow along. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Dwell on this scripture as Steve comes up. Amy, thank you so much for those announcements, welcoming us, and for kicking our sermon off. Welcome, Grace Downtown. It's great to be with you here again at Old Brick and in your living room. Uh, We'll continue on in our First Thessalonians series. We took a short break for the last couple of weeks to talk about how we're handling a lot of the transitions with coronavirus 
And uh, if you haven't had a chance to catch those two past sermons, we encourage you to go online and check those out to know how we are adjusting as a church uh, to coronavirus. Uh, Today we're going to jump into 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 12 that Amy just read for us. But before we do that, I wanted to share some good news. Uh, Downtown Church, do you need some good news? I feel like I'm in a season where I could use some good news, and we just got some good news uh, recently that we wanted to share with you all. So as you know, we've been praying about our location here downtown. There have been questions about whether we'll be able to stay in Old Brick uh, beyond the summer of 2021. We've been talking with uh, the building management and with the board there, and they have said that they would like to talk with us about maybe having an extended lease. So it looks like we have a great possibility of staying in the building, and we're just going to be able to sit down with them and talk about that. So we wanted to say thank you all for praying with us and praying for that process. Wanted to give you that update and then ask you all to continue to pray with us. Before launching into the sermon, why don't we just take a moment to thank God for what he is doing and then also to ask him to continue to watch over uh, the life of our body um, and then also to guide us during the sermon today. Lord, we're just so grateful to you for all that you've done for us. Uh, Today, like every day, we are so grateful that we can take joy in your grace for sinners. Today, like every day, we're so grateful that we can rest in the salvation that you've given us by mercy, that you have not treated us as our sins deserve. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we also just want to thank you that you've knit us together into this body, into this this family, this local family of God here at Grace Downtown. And want to thank you for all the ways that you have been encouraging us and blessing us through one another, challenging us. And Lord God, we also now want to thank you that it looks like we'll have a chance to stay in Old Brick uh, beyond the summer of 2021. We just want to thank you for how you've been working in that, in all the conversations that have gone on with various parties. And we pray, Lord God, that you would not only allow us to be in a place where we can thrive and flourish as a body, but Lord, we also want to ask you that you would help us to be a blessing to those around us. And we also ask that you would help us to demonstrate your goodness and your love to those around us. And so we pray that you continue to guide us in the weeks and months ahead as we have conversations about what that might look like. Now, Lord, we also ask you to just guide our time here together. Pray that you would bless this service. Pray that you would help this sermon to be encouraging, but uh, help it to be true, true to your word, true to you. Lord, we pray that we'd be comforted in it, but Lord, also pray that you would call us to uh, action in ways that would glorify you and be a blessing to your people and to those beyond the walls of the church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I'd like to again talk about 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 12. And before jumping into that, I wanted to just mention that we live in an interesting time. About 10, 15 years ago, it was really common for there to be these heated debates between uh, Christians or religious people and uh, what are called the new atheists. A lot of books being written, a lot of stuff online, really antagonistic and heated debates between people who are religiously minded, people who believe in God, and these atheists. Interestingly, things have kind of changed. It's not that uh, these angry atheists have kind of won out or that uh, a lot of the outspoken Christians have, have won out. What's happened is that we kind of live in a time when people find belief difficult. It's not that they're angry, but there's an increasing number of people who just think that belief in God seems a bit strange, maybe unnecessary. People just struggle with something like unbelief. They're not angry. But they just don't believe. One guy, I read about this in a, uh, a recent article, 
And uh, it was a guy who was saying, it's not that I'm angry about Christians or angry about God. I just don't know why it matters. I don't see what difference it, it makes to believe in God. We live in a time where belief in God just seems unnecessary or maybe irrelevant. And yet, in this day and age, when a lot of people don't believe, what's interesting is that people still struggle with a sense of meaning. People still want to have a sense of meaning or purpose. And yet, when people don't believe in God, they're struggling to find places to put that meaning. Where do I find ultimate meaning and ultimate purpose? There are all kinds of narratives and worldviews in the world that tell us where we can find meaning, where we came from, what our purpose is. But people struggle for those to be really satisfying. So some people find a sense of meaning in this, in this narrative that we are uh, here to survive as a species and that lots of things that we do as humans, whether ethics or love, all of it is really about trying to survive as a species. Natural selection has hardwired us for these kinds of things so that we survive as a species. But a lot of people don't feel satisfied with that when they really think about it. In a time when we don't appeal to God or think about God existing and maybe finding meaning and purpose in life because God has made us, he's given us meaning, he's given us purpose, without appealing to God, something beyond this world, people are struggling to find a sense of meaning and purpose. So on the one hand, people live in a time when unbelief continues to be uh, growing and people don't think to, seem to think that God is very important or matters much. But yet people have these nagging longings for a deeper sense of meaning and purpose. So what does the church have to offer? For a number of years, the church has done a good job, not Grace Community Church, but churches in general have done a pretty good job of trying to make sure that people know what the gospel is and be able to show why the gospel is reliable, why it's true, why the claims about Jesus rising from the dead actually matter, while it's reliable to believe that Jesus actually walked this earth and was a real person. And that's valuable. It's valuable to know what the gospel is and then be able to show people why this gospel truth is reliable. That's valuable, and we need to do that. But sometimes information and even providing evidence for reasons for believing in the gospel is not quite enough. Sometimes people need a living witness. Sometimes people need something tangible. They need an experience to help them trust in the authenticity of Jesus, the reality of Christ and his work. When it comes to eating, uh, most of us don't sit down at a restaurant and look at the menu and read the information about a dish and say, okay, that's the dish I want, and without tasting it, say, and that's now one of my new favorite dishes. Information is helpful. Information is crucial. We need truth. But sometimes we also need experience to teach us those truths and reinforce those truths. So when you sit down in a restaurant and you look at the menu and you see something you like, you don't know if you really like it until you've tried that food. So you put it in your mouth and you get to kind of savor it and think about all the different flavors and think about why you like it. It's that experience that helps to really reinforce that truth. And when it comes to trying to help people believe in Jesus and know that he's true, it's not just a matter of preaching the gospel and helping people have evidence for believing in that intellectually, but it's also about showing them experientially how Jesus is real. And a lot of that has to do with how the church loves one another. So Paul will talk about this in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 12. 
So here's a basic overview of the passage. Again, as Amy read, I'll repeat it. Paul writes here, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. So in terms of topic, Paul shifts gears here and is talking about brotherly love. And he has a general kind of word of praise or commendation for the Thessalonians. He says, you all love one another well. You love one another well. In fact, he says, God has taught you how to love one another. So he says, you love one another well. And in particular, he points out that they're loving all the brothers and sisters throughout the region, throughout Macedonia. We also know that around this time, Uh, In Jerusalem, there was a famine, and a lot of the Christians in Jerusalem were struggling under the weight of this crisis crisis and this famine. And so the the people in Macedonia, probably including the Thessalonians, gave an offering to help those poor believers in Jerusalem. So Paul gives them this general commendation, hey, you all love one another well. God has taught you to love one another well. He even says, uh, you're loving one another and all the people in the region, and we know from other contexts that they're probably giving to the needs of the poor in Jerusalem. But then Paul gives them an exhortation. So not just this commendation or word of praise saying, good job, way to love one another. But then he goes on to say, now do so more and more. Love one another more and more. He says this in verse 10. We urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And in particular, what he's saying is some of you have stopped working. Some of the Thessalonians quit working. There are a couple of arguments as to why they may be stopped working, but it's clear they quit working. And what happened was they were depending upon other people for their needs. So Paul says to them, love one another more and more and aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. In other words, to be loving. What does it mean to be loving? In this particular case, for those who have stopped working, get back to work so that you're providing for yourself and you're not having to rely on other people to support you. That's not actually loving to put others in a position to have to support you if you can take care of yourself. And I think Paul's point is that at least do that, if not also being able to then have enough to give to others as people had been doing from the Thessalonian church. So in general, this is what Paul has to say in these verses. This is just a basic overview. What I'd really like to focus our attention on is that Paul then gives us reasons to understand that he's calling the Thessalonians to love one another because how they love one another matters for the world. The way that they love one another as Christians within the church will do something and say something to the outside world. So this is 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 10 through 12. Paul says, we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. God calls his people, and Paul here is urging the Thessalonians to be a living witness for Christ. He says, love one another. It's clear he's telling them to love one another. And that as you do that by working with your hands... It's a way of being loving towards your brothers and sisters, but it also is a way of saying something to the outside world. It's a way of walking properly before outsiders. Some translations put this, you'll win the approval 
of outsiders, that somehow or another outsiders will see how you're loving one another, taking care of yourself so that you're not dependent upon others, and maybe even being able to share with other believers, and that helps to win their approval. They see something in the church that says something important. Now, Paul kind of mentions this. uh, The way he stresses this is a little uh, tangential, but we see this theme come up throughout the New Testament in even more direct ways. This is not a random theme that just comes up here and there. This is a consistent theme that runs throughout the New Testament. We see it in John 13, verse 35. Jesus told the disciples, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If Christians love one another, if the disciples love one another, it communicates to the outside world that they're followers of Jesus. They love in the way that Jesus has loved, and then they look like Jesus as a result of that. We know you're followers of Jesus because you're loving the way that he loved. How we love one another says something to the outside world. John 17, verses 20 through 21 say something similar. John 17, this is the upper room as Jesus is having the Last Supper with the disciples uh, on the night that he's going to be uh, arrested. And he starts in verse 20 in this prayer to the Father. He says, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is praying that the disciples and other Christians throughout the world would be united, would experience this oneness. You don't experience that unity without loving each other. He wants us to be united, and in that union, it should say to the world that Jesus was sent by God. It validates and affirms that Jesus, who taught us how to love this way, is from God. It confirms his reality. It confirms his authenticity as the God-man who has come to change humans, not just save us by grace, but to also begin to transform us so that we start to look more and more like Jesus in how we love one another and experience unity. Matthew 5, this is again Jesus, Matthew 5, verse 16. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're called to have good works, good deeds that shine a light on the Father. As we do these good deeds, they should ultimately not bring glory to us, not draw attention to us, but it's like a sign. We're pointing somewhere else. Those good deeds point to our Father in heaven, that people glorify the Father in heaven as they see his work in us. And what does it look like? What do these good works and these good deeds look like? Matthew goes on to talk about lots of sacrificial love for other people in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Giving to the poor without other people knowing about it. He talks about if somebody asks you to, to go a mile, go more than that with them. If somebody uh, wounds you or, or hurts you, turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Be really good at reconciling with other people. Jesus wants us to be a people who are growing in our love for one another. And as we grow in that love for one another, it says something to the outside world about his work in us. And it can cause them to take him seriously. So all of us do need to be ready and prepared to share the gospel verbally with our mouths as opportunity comes up. First Peter 3.15 makes this point. We're told to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have within. In the course of life, your work, 
you're in the neighborhood, you're hanging out with friends, and they notice that you have some measure of peace in the middle of all of this fear with coronavirus or struggles with finances, and they see you have peace, and like, what gives you that peace? That's an opportunity to say, it's the gospel. It's because Jesus has forgiven me of my sins, he's given me eternal life. No matter how bad things get here, nothing can steal away the hope of eternity that Jesus has given me by grace. It's a way to be prepared to share the gospel. So all of us should be prepared to do that. And some of us will actually be better at that than others. Some of us have a gift for that. But the New Testament spills a lot of ink. The New Testament spills an immense amount of ink, encouraging us to be growing in our ability to love one another. So that means that while we do share the gospel, we've got to be growing in how we love one another. And so much so that when we do share the gospel, it comes from a community of people who have been demonstrating the work of Christ in us, that have been allowing others to see how he changes us, to see his power, to see his work in us, that he causes us to be people who go from selfishness to love, from self-centeredness to be concerned for other people. And he transforms us in such a way that it shines a light on him and causes others to take him seriously and cause others to take the, the gospel more seriously. In the book of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I don't see an, a lot there about the Corinthians sharing the gospel with others, but Paul clearly calls them to love one another. Paul says, if you have not love for one another, we are nothing. If I have not love for others, I am nothing. There's such essential importance that we learn to love one another. Galatians, I don't see a ton in the book of Galatians about how we have to like share the gospel a lot. We should be prepared to do that, be prepared and growing in our ability to share the gospel. But Galatians tells us that we've been set free from slavery to sin and to the law. And now in that freedom, he says, serve your brothers and sisters, love them with the freedom that God has given you. Give your life to love your brothers and your sisters in Galatians 5. God has clearly and repeatedly called every believer to grow in our active, our tangible, our palpable, our visible love for one another so that it causes others to take notice of Jesus. When Jesus gave the commandment for the church to make disciples in Matthew 28, he envisioned a church who was increasingly skilled at loving one another so that it would invite others to see the nature of his handiwork, the nature of his kingdom, and for people to have even more reasons to believe in Jesus. Usually when it's time for us to have a project done at home or maybe like hire somebody to do a wedding cake for us, we usually want to see some samples of their work ahead ahead of time. Sometimes it's a portfolio where we can flip through it and see samples of wedding cakes or see like if somebody's going to build a deck, what kind of decks have they built in the past? And uh, that really helps us to be able to trust the person that's going to do the work. Why? Because their handiwork says something about their skill. Their handiwork says something about their skill and whether we would trust them to do the work. Uh, this picture here that we'll take a look at of this particular deck. If I saw this picture in a portfolio, I would not be super inclined to hire this individual to build my deck. And it's because their handiwork says something about their skill. Their, uh, this deck says something about whether we could trust them. The church is Christ's handiwork in many ways. At a certain level, people will take Christ seriously if they trust the master craftsman's work and if they can see his work in us. 
That doesn't mean that preaching the gospel, the truth of the gospel, is unimportant. We have to preach the gospel. We have to be able to show how it's reliable. We also have to be able to show in a living, tangible, breathing way his work in our lives. See evidence of him working in our lives. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus is a master craftsman. And he's given the world a portfolio of his work. It's the church. May the world see us loving one another. And may that point to Jesus who's been working in us, changing us, and shaping us. Now some of you might hear this and at a certain level it sounds uh, encouraging. At a certain level it sounds inspiring. But at another level it sounds really discouraging because you're like, there are times that I just mess it up. I struggle to love people well or faithfully or consistently. And maybe you feel like this message is really discouraging for me because I don't know how I can do that. You're not alone. I am 41 years old, and God is still teaching me how to love people. I still make mistakes. And the other good news is this. Even in how we fail to love one another, Christ provides an opportunity for us to use that failure. He can transform that failure into love and to still be a witness. So there are times when in community group, I fail to love somebody. I say something um, maybe unknowingly that is offensive, and clearly it's not been loving. There are times that this happens. I'll say something in community group and realize the next day uh, or two days later, oh man, what I said was probably offensive. I didn't mean that. And so I could feel really defeated and feel like I'm not loving my brothers and sisters well. And there are many times when working at church, I fail to love people well, and I do feel frustrated about that. But the good news of the gospel is that we can run to Jesus and confess that to him because of what he's done at the cross. There's forgiveness. And then he also tells us, now go to that person that you've offended. What's loving is not always being perfect at loving, but when you mess it up, when I mess it up, in love we can go to them and say, would you please forgive me? I said that, and that was hurtful, and I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. And would you please forgive me? And it allows in love to take that mistake and turn it into an opportunity for more love. And it shines a light on the fact that Jesus is forgiving with us. It shines a light on the fact that when Jesus is at work within us, that he causes us to be forgiving and to be good at reconciling, and that this is a community that's strong and stays tight-knit. Even when we make mistakes and fail to love, he brings us through that to reconciliation on the other end. It's an opportunity to point to him and his work in us, that he forgives us, but he also transforms us into being good at reconciling with one another. So even when we fail, there's opportunity to still love one another and to shine a light on Jesus. You don't have to be perfect. Thank the Lord we don't have to be perfect, because I'm still not perfect at loving one another. And I'm still learning from a ton of people what it looks like to love one another. I've been in community group with James and Laura Ankrum, and they've helped me to learn how to love in new ways. I continually learn from my wife how to love other people in new ways. I learn with uh, Jody and Ryan Simpson and with Andrew and Melissa Meredith while leading group with them. They're teaching me to love in new ways. And so we can grow in this, and we don't have to feel defeatist if we feel like, you know what, I can sometimes struggle at loving other people. God can use that, and he can help us to grow as we learn from one another. And all of it continues to shine a light on Jesus. The point in all of this is to say that this, this business of loving each other, this is not cheap public relations or marketing. It's not what it is. And it's ultimately not really about you and me. The whole point is that we want, to, want people to see Jesus. We want to see the, 
want them to see the evidence of his work in our life so that they can trust him. Our love for one another can never save anyone. It can't. But our love for one another can be a tangible, palpable, visible defense for who Jesus is and of his work in us. And it can help people to trust him and to believe in him, place their faith in him, and he will be the one to save them. They can find their life. They can find their joy and their peace, their hope in him. So I'm encouraged that at the downtown church we see this so much. I want to encourage it more and more. I want to encourage you all to love one another even more and more. Now, this kind of love is sacrificial. It costs us something. It's not easy. It doesn't come overnight. Uh, This kind of love, um, like I said, it's costly because sometimes it'll cost money. Sometimes it costs emotional energy, mental energy. Sometimes it costs us personal space. Sometimes it costs us physical energy. There are times staying up late with people talking about how they're doing, trying to encourage them, love them, be present for them. When I'm really uh, tired, it can just take physical energy. And so it's costly. And the question is, what makes it possible for us to give of ourselves sacrificially and love one another in these ways when it is so costly? What transforms us? I think it's important to remember that. It's not that we just try to start to love people as we define love on our own or that we try to love people by generating enough strength in ourselves. What we see in the Thessalonian church is that God taught them to love. God needs to be the source of this love. If it's going to shine a light on him, it's got to be rooted in him. We've got to be learning from God how to love others. So we see this in 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, verse 9. There in chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, uh, They themselves, people throughout the Macedonian region, they report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you Thessalonians turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. So the Thessalonians were worshiping, many of them at least were worshiping these, these idols and these false gods, and they turned to the living and true God as Paul preached among them. So they're clearly turning to the living God. And then Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9, uh, verse 9, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. You've been taught by God to love one another. The love that we see in the Thessalonian church is emerging because they have turned from idols to the living and the true God, and this God has taught them how to love. So that's encouragement for us, not to feel like we've got to drum up love in ourselves, but we need to run to Christ. We need to run to God the Father, look at how he is loved, and as we turn to the living God, he helps us to grow in knowing how to love. He teaches us to love. When we turn to the living God, He enables us to turn to others in greater love. We turn to him. He teaches us and equips us and changes us so that we can turn to others and be able to love them. When we turn to the living God, he makes us a living witness to the power of Christ, the transformative power of Christ, and the transformative power of God's goodness. Here are three quick ways that when we turn to the living God, he empowers us to turn to others in love. First of all, When we turn to God and he adopts us as his children, we don't deserve to be adopted as his children. We're sinners. But by grace, he washes us of our sin when we place our faith in him and ask for forgiveness. He makes us his children, but then he puts us together in his family. You're sitting in rooms separated from brothers and sisters, separated from me. But the fact is we are still brothers and sisters. There's a spiritual bond 
that we have together. And when we realize that spiritual bond, that we actually belong to one another, it's easier to love one another sometimes by remembering my identity is not just as this isolated individual who's saved by grace, but I'm part of this body. When we remember we're a spiritual family, it helps us to love one another. Secondly, Jesus, when he came to the earth, when he became flesh, he taught us what love looks like. He showed us what love looks like. Gave us very clear living examples of what love looks like. And so he taught us what this is. Obviously, he lays his life down at the cross to teach us, you should lay down your lives for others. I should be laying my life down for my wife, for my children, and for folks here at church. He teaches us what it means to lay down our lives. And he also shows us what that looks like just in terms of serving others. On the night when he's arrested, he's with the disciples, and he takes up a, a towel. And he gets to wash their feet, sacrificially and lovingly serving them in this really powerful way, as a way of saying, I'm giving you a model to follow. Love one another in this way. Jesus gave us an example of what it means to love one another. But the third is perhaps maybe the most powerful. It's that when we realize that God has given us everything in Christ Jesus by grace, it frees us to give to others. When we realize that we come to the cross with nothing, when I remember that I come to the cross nothing, bare, empty-handed, I bring nothing but my sin to the cross. And it's there that Jesus washes me. It's there that God forgives me. It's there that he makes me from, uh, he takes me from being a sinner into a saint. He transforms me from being a slave to sin into his beloved child. He takes me from being somebody who's destined for hell and now has eternal life. I bring to the cross nothing, but he gives me everything. If he's given me everything, a new identity, eternal hope, he's given me joy, he's taken away my shame. Once I realize all that he has given me, then it enables me to give to others. It enables me to give to others. What do I really have to lose? If I give of my goods to other people, what does that matter? Because in the end, I can't take it with me. But if I invest in the lives of people and they come along into eternity, that's an investment well made. He encourages us to realize that because of what Christ has done, we have everything We have everything and more. We have everything we need and more. And it allows us to then give to others, to share with others. So tonight as we close, as one of your pastors here at the downtown church, I just want to encourage you all and say thank you for loving one another. Thank you so much for how you all love one another. As somebody who doesn't get to sit in all of your community groups, I don't get to sit in on all the times even outside of community groups, you're getting together to get coffee or hanging out, reading the Bible together, encouraging one another, sharing time, walking with one another through difficulty. I don't get to see all of those moments, but I see enough to know how evident and palpable it is that you all love one another. And I sense God's kingdom coming among us as I see you all love one another. I see God's handiwork in you all as you continue to love one another. And I want to say thank you for loving one another. Because it not only is a way of bringing goodness to one another, serving one another, but it also shines a light on Jesus to those around us. Thank you all for loving one another. It's so obvious that you do. And in particular, in this season, when we're struggling with coronavirus and life is just being turned upside down, thank you all for loving each other in this season. Some of you have been dropping off care packages for other people. 
We've had anonymous things show up at our door. We don't even know who brought it, and we just want to say thank you for that. We've heard of some of you trying to provide uh, groceries for other people. You're trying to make sure that those who are lonely are not left by themselves. Those who are maybe at risk are being taken care of. So many ways you all are loving one another. And I just want to commend you. The same way Paul told the Thessalonians, great job loving one another. I want to tell you all that as well. And the second thing I would say Just as Paul told the Thessalonians, love each other more and more, I would encourage you to do that. I'm taking that advice to heart. I'm asking God, help me to know how to love others more and more. And I want to encourage you to love each other more and more. And there's some specific ways that we can do that during this coronavirus outbreak. Uh, One way is that in community groups to be aware of things that are going on, aware of the changes. Many of you are already doing this. But it seems like we may be running into a season in the near future, maybe the very near future, where more and more people are going to be losing jobs. I know some people have lost jobs. The people who live right next door to Mindy and me, uh, there are two generations of people in that house, and both of them, both generations have lost their jobs or without employment. And so we know of people in a lot of contexts that are already losing jobs. And so if people run into significant hardship, and it only gets worse, we want to encourage you to be prepared to care for one another as best as you can. Be prepared to ask one another how we're doing and to be be prepared to try and provide for one another as best as we can. Now, beyond community groups, there are some church-wide ways that we can care for one another. This particular week, we'd like to be taking up a specific offering. We'd like to take up some specific funds that are aimed at trying to help brothers and sisters who might be struggling very soon uh, with some, some uh, financial burden if they're losing their jobs, getting laid off. This would be a great season. If you've never given before at church, this would be a great season for you to jump in and start giving and giving to the needs, the tangible needs of brothers and sisters directly. The church is setting aside, we've talked about setting aside funds from the budget as well to help for that. So we're not just leaning upon what people can give to be able to help the needs of brothers and sisters. We're looking at ways that we can free up funds within the budget to be able to help people who might be in need. If you are someone right now who would say, you know, I actually am one of those people that need help. I'm actually going through a really difficult time. We'd encourage you to check in with your community group if you're in a community group. Otherwise, we encourage you to go to the website, and you can, uh, there'll be a button there to click on the website for a range of help. There are a lot of different kinds of help we're wanting to be able to provide people, and so you can click on that and see what kinds of help and resources are available. If you'd like to give uh, to this offering to help brothers and sisters who will be going through a hard time, you can also go online, and you should be able to click on a button there and be able to give. We do want to say this one quick proviso or disqualification. We're encouraging people not to post needs on Facebook because sometimes what happens is there's, there's an algorithm, uh, the almighty Facebook with all of its super amazing math that I can't even begin to understand, sometimes has an algorithm that maybe uh, pushes one person's post a little more than someone else's. And so we don't want this to be a situation where on the church Facebook page, maybe somebody's need gets a lot of attention because of an algorithm and somebody else goes unnoticed. And so we'd encourage you to be in touch with the community group, but also especially if you need help, uh, go to that page and click on the button, I need help, and we want to be able to help you. Church, it's so amazing to see you all love one another. Friends, it's amazing to see you all love one another. And I pray that as you love each other, you experience joy in that, that you experience the joy of relationship with one another, the joy of growing in Christ together. 
but also pray that as we experience that joy, the goodness of Christ's kingdom coming among us, that we also are able to be a tangible light to the outside world. And as we get better and better at loving one another, may that then overflow to the outside world, not just that they see us love one another, but that we are also then able to love those around us who are not part of this church. May the Lord help us to grow at loving one another and get skilled at that so that when we meet others outside of the church, we're also skilled at loving them as well. So not just loving those in the church, particularly being uh, sensitive to loving those who are of the household of faith, as Paul puts it in one context, but not doing that in such a way that we aren't aware of the needs around us. May God help us to experience that love, to experience the joy of community with one another, to receive that love from one another, to praise God for it, but then to also share it with one another, give that love to one another, and then also to be able to give that love to the world. And may Christ receive glory. May more people who don't know him see his goodness. May they be drawn to his kingdom, and may they place their faith in him. Lord, we want to thank you that before we even think about loving other people, we need to remember that you have richly and lavishly loved us. I pray for anyone who is struggling to remember that you love them tonight, that you would remind them deeply of your love for them. It's not love that we deserve. It's love you've shown us by grace. Remind us of the gospel, the good news of your grace for us tonight. And as we remember how you have poured yourself out for us and have loved us, we pray that you would spur us on to love and good deeds, to love each other more and more. We pray that we at this church would get better and better at loving others. I pray that you would help me to grow and know what it means to love others. And I pray that as we love one another, we would not only experience the rich goodness of your kingdom here, that we would take joy in it. We would experience how good this, this love of brothers and sisters is ourselves. But Lord God, we pray that it would be a living testimony, a witness to your power. May others see you and see your goodness, place their faith in you. And we pray that they would find joy, they would find hope, and then they would also join us in then experiencing this love and sharing it with others around us. We pray it all in the name of Jesus and give you glory. Amen. Thank you all for joining us this week. We really look forward to being together uh, next week online for Easter. Have a great week.